0: You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to stimulate your thinking. You're listening You're
0: listening to Intellectual, intellectual Erection, Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. we <laughs> 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 the stimulate. Stimulate. stimulate your thinking. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick, and today I'm speaking with actor Evan Spurgill.
1: I mean, I could smell chlorine right now and be like, oh, penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what happens.
0: This episode's going to be a little bit more unconventional, but overall a sort of poetic experience. You'll see what I mean. Before we get to the episode, just a reminder that I am offering consultation services on intellectual erection. If you're interested in any topics around kink, BDSM, sex positivity, consent, I do provide educational services, so reach out to me. We can have some sessions on Zoom. And please go and follow my sex-positive art on aesthetic.erection on Instagram. There's lots of prints, new art coming out daily. Please go out there and support. And as always... Listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with Evan Spurgell. Evan Spurgell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Why don't
1: you tell the listeners what it is that you do? So, I am an actor and a writer. I got my degree first in art direction advertising from OCAD way back in 2010. And after that, I graduated and went to Randolph Academy, where I studied performing arts, musical theater. And that was fantastic. It was kind of like my cocoon, where I, uh, I guess, like what happens in a cocoon, you, you bloom into what you're supposed to be. And uh, it's funny, as a, as a gay man myself, I found when... I knew I was gay, which was very, very young. How, how old were you? I was That I knew? Yeah. Probably four, honestly, yeah. Wow.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's, you know what you like, or like what, what, what's making your heart beat a little faster. And I also really liked musical theater. I loved performing. I loved being, I loved affecting people and entertaining them.
0: I mean that's not very common, right, for gay men to like musical theater. No. It's right? I
1: so I felt so out of place. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, with because that is such a cliche, I found myself avoiding that. I I have I had ADD and dyslexia. I have ADD and dyslexia, and I've been removed from class since kindergarten, really, which played such a detrimental effect on on confidence. Cause here I am the things that I was good at performing I was getting called gay and insulted for and the things I, I wasn't good at that I was trying to be good at I just sucked so much at and I mean so I would be removed from class every day in different subjects and all the while I was just wishing I could have been a performer but just this idea knowing that I already had the gay card in play and I'm like you're gonna have to deal with that at some point but the best thing that we could do is take away the performing aspect. Don't be such a cliche. <laughs> and you could run, but you can't hide from, from your passions. So wh- I'd come out in grade 12, and then I I got the degree. I was miserable. I did not want to go into art direction and advertising. Um, and I, yeah, I went to musical theater school again, and it was my cocoon. It was my second coming out. It was my complete coming out. I'm gay and a performer, and that's a great thing to recognize and be proud of. And then you also said something a little earlier about being a writer. Where does that fit yeah. into the picture? So being a writer has always been really profound for me. I, I've i been writing special letters, uh, I don't know, birthday cards. I always felt so special when people took the time to write more than just a signature <laughs> in a card. It just made me feel spoken to, and I, and then I had relationships. I had bad relationships, and I would write really beautifully, profound letters, and I would get my mom to look (laughs) it over, and she'd be like, "Whoa, you're this is really good." And she was surprised because here I am with learning disabilities, getting terrible marks, but when I put my heart into it, it it was good. It was great. It is great. I just learned to say fuck it to the grammar and 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 how things are spelt and just write just and it was really powerful because you know here I am auditioning and and trying to be the chosen view of what people's stories are but I I'm a I'm a gay man and I've experienced a lot of neglect and homophobia um, a lot of TV shows that I grew up watching. Love Friends. I love Friends. I gr- I was such a loser growing up. I thought when I thought that I had no friends, I would stay in and I would watch Friends. But looking back at it these days, I'm seeing there's a lot of internalized homophobia being fed to to viewers who are often. I mean, some of the viewers are were lonely, and we tune in to to get company, and here here's. I am as a little boy watching things to find company and I'm being fed these really homophobic jokes that I, you don't even know you're listening to until you're, you're educated and you, you look back at it, but it was not good. So realizing that I can take control of the dialogue of what's being shown is such a game changer and really exciting. I, um, So I'm a writer, and I'll be starting a program actually at U of T at the end of this month, which will, uh, by the end of it, have me brought into writing rooms, which is so cool. What is the program? Episodic Screenwriting.
0: Is this a course, or is it a degree or a certificate?
1: It's just a continued study, so a a, a once-a-week program, but it's good. I do well with structure.
0: Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack in everything you said there, and I have a lot of... Curious questions for you, but the first thing we got to do on this podcast is what I always do. I ask the origin question, which is a two-parter. The first part that I'm going to ask is if you remember when you were a kid, the first time that you realized that sex or sexuality exists in this world, what was the catalyst for that? What is that memory? Like, Hmm. did you see something in this world? Did
1: you discover your body or was it a totally different experience? I think... And I get, I don't, it's, it's, I get weary saying this because there's already a stigma of gay men being in a change room. (laughs) But when you're little, I mean, I could smell chlorine right now and be like, oh, penis. (laughs) (laughs) It's just what happens. Like, you know that you're about to be changing. You're about to be naked, which is discovering that vulnerable feeling. Um, You know what you're about to see. And, you know... I've been studying sex therapy for a couple of months now, like I was saying, and I was really, one thing that really disturbed me, what I learned is this, the marriage of when you're really gay, the trauma that it can have, because I knew it was wrong at the time. I knew I wasn't, we, you're not, there was so many jokes in the, in the change room about being gay already, and I just knew it wasn't encouraged and it was bad to to be that way and so there was this element of shame right from the get-go being partnered with arousal and uh i guess that's the evolution of kink for you Um, yeah
0: a lot of times it is yeah did that at all did that sexual arousal and shame couple together to form a taboo that's specific
1: to you at all i definitely there's definitely elements about it that i mean I was a bartender for the past two years in Vancouver, and there's there is this element of quote unquote getting the straight guy, getting to maybe it's getting their approval, getting the thing that's wrong, um, often associated with you know when when a gay person is growing up, the reflective of the people that you wanted approval of. Um, Luckily, unluckily, I think kink is great. But I never got the gift of deep kink. Um, I love it. I respect anybody who's open to talk about it. But um, I think I actually get off on like that sounds so boring, but but making out when it's so good and and, and naturalness. I don't like when I when I feel anything shade. I mean, you know, virtu- nurture versus nature. I love feeling things that are just natural. I like smelling things that are natural. I don't like over-scented things. If I'm with somebody, I need to be able to smell them.
0: Oh, so you like that natural body smell, whatever that may be? Yeah. I can relate to that. I also have a, a strong sense of that. Yeah. But not every body is going to be appealing to me in a chemical sense. Some some smells I'm drawn to and some I'm not. Yeah. So I've had... Partners who had, like, strong odor, but it was an odor that really aroused me Mm -hmm. every single time. All I had to do was smell them, and then I would just be, like,
1: I would be aroused instantly.
0: Yeah. And then there's some people whom, you know, it just doesn't do the thing for me.
1: It's so annoying. You want it to. It's like, you're great. Yeah, Just The pheromones are just off. And, again, I do a lot of thinking, and a a lot of times, in, and I'm speaking gay culture because that's what I know. I was reading this book called Jacket by Matthew Todd. It's incredible. It's the new Velvet Rage. And he was pointing out the idea that most designers, top artists, are gay. They're queer. And it's because as a child, there was such a deep sense of, recu- of feeling like you weren't, something was wrong and you weren't a part of the herd. And scientifically, like animalistically, we want to we wanna be part of the herd. It's not safe to be not part of the herd so we start overcompensating in ways whether it's it's doing really well in school getting the top grades or it's of course school is is more approachable because we're not sexual beings at that time it doesn't apply to sexuality but once sexuality and puberty hits we start realizing like oh shit uh get the muscles be be the most beautiful and and designers beyond the body make things beautiful and that is really a big part of of gay culture so i find sometimes some gay men there's a lot of overcompensating there's shaving the body to try to look a certain way that it it's not naturally put on cologne to to smell better than what you th- think you should smell like and and it's removing my my appeal i because confidence is sexy being who you are and how you're supposed to be is sexy not to say that if if someone really likes identifying with this smell or they just didn't choose to have the body hair i get it but for me give me a uh, i give me the pheromones just just give me what you are right, right untouched
0: right. now i wonder if this uh thing that you said earlier that in your experience, gay men tend to have this need for approval from the dominant group, primarily being heterosexual mm-hmm. men, mm-hmm. who are at the top of the hierarchy, so to speak, in society, especially in a patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? Like it's Those are the people with the most uh, success and the most advantages and the most privilege. So I wonder if that need for approval is part of what this overcompensating is is about that that you were saying from this uh from this book Mm -hmm. right because maybe if you perform to a certain degree that impresses the dominant group Mm -hmm. then you've obtained that approval
1: right and this is what's been really exciting actually for me recognizing this behavior it's funny just to to rewind so i i've never been with a woman before i've but at a time in my age now, I'm actually really open to exploring with a straight couple to, that I'm attracted to. And it was, it was through your podcast as well, listening to that and some other podcasts. And I, I learned about that app field, F-E-E-L-D. And it's really just stripping away expectations of how we're supposed to be coming to the table. As I dissect myself, I think that my people were women. My tribe, who I identified with, who I was safe with, were women. So there's a deep respect. And I think there was a fear of, of, of it's, like, it's like seeing your teddy bear, but realizing the teddy bear is a sexual being. It's like, what? No, you're, you're just a teddy bear. You protect me. We're, we're, we're buddies. And <laughs> where am I even going with that? Well, it sounds like what you're saying is that
0: it was weird to to find any sort of sexual connection to your group that you identified with, mm-hmm. which was women, because you had seen them so platonically or as a form of support yeah. that didn't have any sort of like sexual dimension before. Mm-hmm. But now you're curious about exploring that potentially.
1: Yeah. And which is also a really funny question, because usually in, in the world that we think of, you grow up straight, you get curious. You could be bi-curious. Yeah. But I come from a family where I was supported so well. I, it was my own problems that made me fearful of, of who I was. I didn't know it would be accepted. But they, they accepted me for everything that I am. And therefore, I've grown up as a gay man. And, and I am a gay man. But I'm also a curious gay man. And I didn't really recognize that curiosity because I didn't know there was an allowance. Because coming to the table, there's an expectation that women have of men as well. And it's, it's, it's so cool to see how... Um, I guess what I'm thinking is... We've always glorified woman on woman sexualized yeah. yeah so lesbian fetishism yeah and there's a lot of of sexualized people in the world that don't like being sexualized I could this them all off we know what they are but to me i've always kind of been jealous of being sexualized because i i to be sexualized is is deep acceptance we're born to procreate. We are born to make more humans. And when someone makes you want to do that, and someone makes you excited, and makes you want to get off, that's such a compliment, really. And I feel like if we started seeing gay, man-on-man, sexualized more, I know it sounds terrible, but all i I see that it's ever associated with is a joke or an insult or emasculated. I know that I have some female friends who think it's really hot and they, they challenge that, but I don't see that uh, widely. I don't absorb that fully into my body being like, oh yeah, that's, a, that's an exciting thing. People like seeing that.
0: Well, actually in the sex positive communities, I've been seeing a really strong upsurge in man-on-man gay fetishism. from a lot of women. It's it's been really, really prevalent in the sex-positive communities. Now, being within the sex-positive communities and talking to a lot of people Mm -hmm. in these communities, I might have that bias, as in, you know, that sample bias. I'm seeing only the reactions from the people within these communities that are generally very Mm open-minded, exploratory, sexually liberated. I don't know outside of the sex positive communities—how much of that fetishism is happening, really? Mm-hmm. But there's certainly a level of acceptance. Maybe that wasn't there, right? You know, circa 2000, circa mm-hmm. 1990s, right. right? So I hear what you're saying. Wanting to be to be objectified a little bit, I and mean, you know, consensually, so right. uh, is an exciting thing. Mm-hmm. And I do think that you know, within these communities, there is a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I did an episode a while back with my friend Lance, who identifies as bisexual, pansexual, right? And the amount of responses from women was staggering. Mm. Not only to me and wow, and the the comments on the pictures, and of course, also because he's hot and, you know, (laughs) everybody was just really excited about (laughs) it. And he got a lot of attention from it as well. So, I mean... Again, sample bias, sex-positive communities, but it exists. Mm-hmm. The gay fetishism exists, and
1: it's, I think, on the rise. Yeah, and as a writer, you bet your ass I will be incorporating all of this material. <laughs> <laughs> and I plan to write from my own experience as well. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And I can't wait to breathe into that. I can't wait for COVID to be over with because I just want to... I've been doing so much... Inner work and reflecting and and meditation and considering DMT maybe, <laughs> nice. um, but I I I'm curious and I I've learned I don't know you know I find myself if you look at all of my tabs that I can't seem to close of porn on my computer when I'm going losing my mind they're all threesomes they're all guy and two guys one male male female. Uh, threesomes and it's it's just really cool when you strip away the idea of how I'm supposed to perform and be soothed to come out as humans um, with just the goal of of embracing one another removing the expectations of oh he's got a dick he's got a he's got a fucker uh, or even if it's oh she she wants to peg the guy even removing any objects of of penetration of really looking at what it is to just be like naked with with a man or a woman that you find attractive that you have consent with and starting there not starting at i'm going to be the rough top or i'm going to be the sub bottom or these preconceived um expectations and really stripping it back to just being human and i think that's what i've learned so much over this pandemic is what it feels like to be human sexually speaking and just emotionally
0: i think what you're getting at there is sexual liberation which the sex positive communities have certainly been able to help blossom if you will because in the absence of these strict categories that even you grew up with you mentioned earlier that you know you knew you were gay early on and because you had all the support you identified as a gay man. But Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you have curiosities, sexual curiosities, and Mm -hmm. you want to explore. Yeah. I've also heard a lot of traditionally speaking straight men that are now also looking to explore Mm. uh, that I've interviewed on my podcast. And that that part of sexual liberation is admitting that these categories that we had were more restrictive than they were helpful Mm -hmm. because most of these things lie on a spectrum. And even psychologically speaking, when Alfred Kinsey was studying sexuality, he put it on a spectrum mm-hmm. and he's like, you're somewhere on a spectrum and you might be strongly gay or strongly, you know, straight, but you could also be somewhere, yeah. you know, on a scale of one to 10, you might be a three, you might be a seven. <clears throat> and there's so much space in there to explore with consent and with knowing other people who are willing to help you explore yeah, to, to see that there is. A, a sort of nuanced way of, of existing that mm-hmm. doesn't have to be defined by a specific category. And it brings me back to Oscar Wilde, right? Oh, great. Who yeah. says to define is to limit. So like that. in that sense, right? Those definitions can be helpful sometimes mm-hmm. in you know coming out and identifying as something.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I always say, it's fine. I had no idea about that that quote, but I always say, Live with guidelines, not borders.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the second part of that origin question was going to be, as it always has been, how you got involved in the sex-positive communities. But it sounds like you are just at the cusp of wanting to explore. Yeah. And COVID has really just been an interruption in your ability to yeah. to, to navigate the sex-positive yeah. communities. So I guess what I should ask is, what are you excited about exploring the most?
1: I am excited about exploring, I guess... You know, it all started while I was a bartender. I was a very judgmental person, to be honest. Um, I always judged the idea of the gay bartender. There's a lot of expectations and associations that come with that. And when I went to Vancouver, I kind of, I, I was about to turn 30. And, and I, you know, I never liked roller coasters. I never, I don't, I can't, but not for me. But there are people who go on roller coasters that either clench on for the drop and just wait for it to be over or they release their hands up in the air and they just they know that it's going to be a ride but it's a temporary ride and there's a thrill about it that they just want to absorb and take in and that's what i did with with that experience being a bartender and i learned that every we are all cliches but we're all people we cannot assume that we know an entire person's heart and morals and
0: Wait, were you clenching or were you with your hands up in the air? Uh,
1: I was just flailing them, just throwing them in face. Enjoying the (laughs) ride. Yeah. This actually makes me curious to to ask you.
0: And I've heard about this and I've always wanted to ask and I've never had the opportunity. So here it goes. I've heard that there's nonverbal communication between gay men that happens in specifically bar settings mm-hmm. in order to identify one another mm-hmm. and
1: sort of ask if there's a level of sexual interest. I think that yeah, it's you know, when you look when you walk on a sidewalk, say a cobblestone sidewalk and you see the 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 nature growing through the cracks because it wants to live. It wants to, to get nutrition and it will find its way up. That's emotional connection is the same thing. We will find the cracks and a source to survive. And when you look at somebody, when you there is this energy that you can whether it's a look back, but there's an element where you could be in in the most conservative country in the world, or city in the world, it's it's dangerous, but you learn how to navigate unfortunately, really carefully, but you look how to pick up any signals. But they're the same signals that also we use to make sure we're safe. Are there specific signals? The look back. Ooh, Always uh, the look back. How does that go? So it's like walking and you like, uh, but then you have like, there's a, there's a little dance. Like, so oh, like a double away. take almost? Yeah. Okay. And then, then I find a lot of men like to have like a smolder look where it's like, mm. it's, I don't know what it is. It's the most unfriendly face. Oh, like the straight man face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like I'm thre- an asshole. They're
0: threatened. It's competition. They're yeah. like being looked at. Yep.
1: And I think it's really cool enlightening yourself to, you know, what's the intention? The intention is to win someone over. Smile. That's sort of, it's amazing how many people are afraid to A, make con- eye contact with strangers regardless of if they're attracted to them or not, but just share an emotional connection. And, and opening yourself up and being really aware of how we just to observe strangers on the street I think that we all need to start just giving a little more eye contact to everybody. Mm. And Well, I mean, coming from the, um, uh, from the
0: let's say, cis-hetero world, yeah. that's not necessarily the same advice mm. wouldn't apply, is what I would say, because a lot of like, cis-straight men take advantage of their privilege and use these sorts of opportunities right. Right, to, to look, to gaze, to smile, to harass women. Right. So right. there, there is a different dynamic there where I feel like between, say, gay men, yeah, there is almost a level of equilibrium, mm-hmm. right? Like you're meeting somebody on the same level mm-hmm. and that level of threat is removed. Like I've, I've been to gay bars and I've seen the way gay men check each other out yeah. and the nonverbal communication, communication and how quick it can happen <laughs> where literally I was standing, I think like on Pride, I was standing yeah. at, at Woody's by the bathroom. And this one guy walks downstairs, gives another guy an up and down. The other guy smiled, and they walked into the bathroom together.
1: (laughs) David Attenborough needs to do a documentary about gay culture. It would be fascinating.
0: Yeah, but I've heard that there's specific signals for like, they're more elaborate for like specific intentions. Like I want to have sex or something, and I, I don't know.
1: There's such a deprivedness with it that, again, you just sniff it out. Also, you have to go for it there are people you have to either go for it or not and i think that at some point you know i was reading something about how we should pursue life with the passion of sex if we did oh my god we would be unstoppable all of our projects that we had on the back burners would be completed and
0: <laughs> only i wanted to fuck my dissertation
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and when you have that passion and when you look at somebody there's just this like your antenna goes up, no pun intended. Or pun intended, but you 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 get an idea of of interest.
0: I like the way you put that, though. I think I'm going to use that from now on. The intention to fuck your projects. I want to fuck this project so bad. I'm I'm horny for it. Mm-hmm. You know, you dream about it. Mm-hmm. You anticipate. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to keep that one on the yeah. back burner. Thank you, Evan. <laughs> You're very welcome. And for all the listeners out there, I think that honestly... Keep that on the back burner. Try to fuck your projects because that's some good energy to bring to the table. Oh, yeah. But take it slow. Like, you know, foreplay your project a little right, bit. Right, right. Yeah. Finesse <laughs> it and then get into it. Yeah. Right. And make sure your project is satisfied first before you get off. Yeah. 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 Make love to it. Yeah. That's really nice. Thank you. All right, there you go. You're, you're a real poet. Thank you. You know, life seeping through the cracks, <laughs> of the cobblestone.
1: I mean, I <laughs> definitely think in visuals, everything is a visual to me. All of my friends...
0: Well that might be the gift of of dyslexia and a d h d is actually seeing the world through a different lens, yeah. and it's nice to to appreciate that and to to sort of um embrace it and see where it takes you because you know normally I do very structured interviews right now we're you know pretty deep into the interview, and I think I've asked maybe two questions, but we've no no it's that's not a bad thing okay <laughs> I've just recognized you have a different way of communicating. And I want it to go on your terms because otherwise if you were to answer questions like, you know, one after another in a very structured format, right. your answers wouldn't make any sense and they wouldn't be as elaborate, as beautiful. And, you know, I prefer to to take this opportunity to do an unstructured mm. interview and go with this flow. There you go. Because it is different and it is nice. <laughs> it is a little more poetic and I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Well, you know. I thought I was an actual idiot. Like, I legit thought <laughs> I was... St- <laughs> Growing up, I literally thought I was stupid. I I, I thought I was screwed. I literally thought I would have to find a husband who could take care of me. It's it's really pathetic to say that, but I, it's the person I am today that can recognize that that was not a good... It's a very sad mindset. And then I heard this quote from Einstein, where if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its entire life thinking that it's stupid. Yeah, And... Here we have Einstein saying this shit. And it just was so validating because I'm brilliant in my own way that other people aren't. And it's that same intelligence that I have that I was really ashamed of. It's quite a classic story of like realizing the thing you hated most about yourself is actually the best thing about you. Yeah. It's
0: like a uh, reclaiming projects. You get to, to reclaim parts of yourself that you once thought were, you know, ugly, problematic mm-hmm. into something that you can embrace.
1: Yeah. And I think that that film being a writer and an actor, it's, it's writing that changes the world. You know, the news is one thing, but what we see is how, is what we do. And, my, I, I think in pictures and, I, and I'm going to write and that's how I'm going to survive and, and I'm going to change the world. I'm not a doctor, but I'll write things that change the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Writing can certainly do that. It has that power and that magic because it's art. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I realize we haven't talked at all about your acting. Yeah. <laughs> and you've actually done some... Some pretty significant roles. Yeah, there's some cool stuff. Let's let's go a little bit through your mental IMDB. Oh, gosh. There's only one show that I, I know that you've been on, because we were supposed to do this interview a long time ago. A long ago. time ago.
1: Yeah, but the one I remember is Flash. The Flash. Flash. I did The Flash. I did Designated Survivor. I've done 12 Monkeys. I've done Impulse. I've done... There's also quite a few theater before that. But I'm I I'm most proud about my own little projects that I've written to be honest now. It's I also just got I wasn't supposed to say this on here, but I just got uh two grants this year for two projects that I've filmed. So I've got no, no a $30,000 grant for this one project I wrote which I'll be filming this spring and then 25k which I'll be filming in Vancouver next month. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. That's huge. Yeah, it's it's really really exciting. I'm I'm excited for my 32nd year. I think some big things are going to happen. And and yeah, and all has the subject like sex is really what inspires me. Is a lot of... It's like, you know, when you, you throw up from drinking, the first puke is just like all the poison that you had to get out. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty, like as a writer, I find that the, the stuff that I write first um, has just been the poison that the really the deep gritty... Heavy shit. And then um, I'm already starting on two other projects, which are not that at all. One is going to be a, about a sex therapist, which is great. And then the other one is a Halloween, a good old Halloween movie. I That is what I've loved Halloween movies my entire life. I just do. And I'm like, why the hell am I not writing something like that? Was it going to be horror or like more of a fun time Halloween? It's going to be... I want it to be like Hocus Pocus, all those good classes, Hocus Pocus, uh, Halloween Town, you name it, all that good stuff, but with the element of adultness and um, so a sexy Halloween. Def- I mean, you, yeah, absolutely. I like with a little, uh, I don't know, someone's got to ride a broomstick. That's just got to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Hump
0: Film Festival Submission Twenty Twenty One Pegged right. by a Broomstick <laughs> Riding Broomsticks. <laughs>
1: um Um, but yeah lots of projects going going on just realizing it's quite i don't know it's really cool realizing you're a writer write about it it's like therapy but everyone gets to watch it and you get rewarded for it but (laughs) someone's got to put their their emotions on the chopping block in the first place which is what's so cool about this this podcast which i really appreciated so much is it's not only you you know what's most personal is most universal and it feels like we're getting to know Toronto even better. It's like, who is like, let's get into bed with the people of Toronto. What's what's going on under here? And it's sexy and it's, it's hot and it's captivating. And it's, it connects to the mind, body and, and soul. You really got to start writing the descriptions for my episodes
0: and, and for <laughs> my podcast, together. write some reviews because <laughs> yeah, getting in bed with Toronto, that's, that's a really nice way of putting it. Mm. That's the way that I've, I mean, this is academic me describing mm. my podcast. It's an ethnography of the sex positive <laughs> communities in Toronto. Wow. People are like, yeah, ethnography, that's a nice $2 word. That's great. Um, but <laughs> honestly, that it's, it's felt like that in a sense too. It is getting to know like all the slutty, polyamorous, kinky, sex working, Mm -hmm. wonderful humans of Toronto. But yeah, putting in those simple words, getting into bed with Toronto.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really cool. I always like to to use nature as a reference with everything that I write about. And and the most obvious thing is is a tree. You know, we have the roots of, of something when it's really strong and deeply rooted, it is it's sturdy and it's it's gonna survive so well. It's well supported. And then we have the trunk of the tree which i i to me the trunk of the tree is the sexuality because it's phallic it's so phallic and it's (laughs) but it's the core i mean as human beings the core of us is to be procreating that's again scientifically uh, of human beings were born to procreate to, to continue on humanity and then we have the branches and the leaves and everything that grows out of it and you know this podcast is the trunk of the tree of toronto
0: i'm toronto's
1: dick <laughs> yeah a big phallic symbol great and and it's great because it explains it explains the leaves and it explains the branches and explains the good and the bad you know with sex therapy it's it examines our who we are in the bedroom and explains who we are in life and i think we all just want to be understood if not by others, at least ourselves. And many people don't even know that because they're unwilling to to examine, to do a, a deep root canal on who they are, what do they want, what excites them.
0: Well, twice now you've said that it's within human nature to procreate. And that strikes me as a curious thing for a gay man to say specifically. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what your thoughts around that are.
1: Well, I think that Regardless of being gay, we still want a nut. And <laughs> and uh, we I mean we don't know I mean the urge is there. The urge to procreate is to get off. The urge to, to get off is coming from a an a scientific urge to procreate. Doing it in the butt or the mouth or whatever. However, we're not thinking like, Oh, this isn't gonna work. It's just something that excites us. I I actually heard somewhere really cool podcast um uh these two really awesome gay guys in toronto i forget their name uh i wish i could remember it but they they did a um really brilliant scientists and they were explaining that gay guys it's sort of an evolutionary thing that quote unquote that your tribe that your family is doing well and so there's a genetic happening where you become gay and it's you're sort of born to be caretakers of to help your family your tribe progress and so you know you're not going to have your own which is not the case we can do that that's you wonderful can, yeah, i'm going to have kids one day yeah but scientifically they were trying to explain that that we're, we're we're born caretakers of our of our tribe which is a really interesting way to, to look at it i don't i don't know i don't think there's anything scientifically proven yeah there
0: but well, I mean, also with, with this like notion of a procreative instinct, I think that we're also pleasure-seeking animals. Mm-hmm. So I'm not convinced that you know sex is strictly a procreative instinct. It right. could just be a pleasure-seeking instinct. Absolutely. So they do correlate, though. One could make the argument that we are pleasure-seeking, and the reason that that's also a procreative instinct be- is because the more that we seek pleasure, the higher the chances that we will procreate right. and pass on the genes to the next right. generation and so on. So them being linked together would make sense evolutionarily speaking like, yeah you want to fuck a lot yeah great because that's gonna create a lot of yeah. uh progeny I but go- sex
1: is also just like a recess for adults it's just <laughs> a way to burn off energy and... because we yeah. have so much stress going on so we have to go for recess and yeah i mean the clarity you get after you, you jerk off it's like oh right i know what i'm doing now <laughs> <laughs> talking about like living life with the passion of sex it's like once you dismiss that urge of sex it's like yeah where was I and you could focus again
0: because it does preoccupy a lot of our time oh my
1: god thinking about it desiring it seeking it planning for it going through with it when I'm when I'm writing and I'll spend a day writing my mind goes so fast because I think in pictures and I have to find the words to describe it so I'm sitting at my computer really just trying to write it all out so fast and there's this urge I think as an artist as well there's an element of procreation that comes from completing a project like oh my god i left something behind i have a legacy just like a child and i'm so anxious trying to get it all out and it's not happening fast enough that i'll probably end up jerking off like (laughs) four five times just so i can like silence this over like this urge that i can't keep up with so i could keep coming back to like the writing okay exercise your demons yeah it's like and it (laughs) it's just exhausting (laughs) yeah poor you (laughs) yeah my poor d
0: what i wanted to talk about a little bit too with you was how you navigate the acting community so to speak as a gay man are there any challenges Mm -hmm. for you being an actor and being out, or trying to having to cover it, or whatever it is, I'm not sure what the challenges would yeah, be. Yeah,
1: there's there's been many, and a lot of people like to downplay it. But all of my agents up until this one have encouraged me to keep it on the DL, just so I could come across ambiguous because um, because I can be ambiguously sexual. Um, I could come across straight or gay, and and it just it's such a yucky thing to be told, but, and I, and I believed that, and I didn't want to, like, you, you monitor what you put on your Instagram, and, or how you come across, how you sit with your legs, are they cross, or are they folded, like, everything, it's really detrimental, and horrible, and a really bad thing that actually happened, um, just when I moved back this year, um, I had to find a new agent back in Toronto, so I was doing interviews with different agencies. And there was an agent who brought me in twice and it just wasn't a good energy. And he commented, he said that I have a lisp, which I do. I have a subtle syllable S and I just sort of dismissed it. I was told about it in theater school as well. And then um, he ended up passing on me and it just really broke my spirits. I felt really ashamed and it was really bringing up traumatizing not even. I mean, it's traumatizing, but I've. Ju- it, it's like a downplay. It's. It, it just. It's like all right. Who you are isn't right. You have to fix that. You have to emulate what a straight person is, because I go for straight person roles, because most things are straight. Right. People roles. So, and then, I went to this other agency, and I told her off the bat. I'm like, just so you know, I I went to this other agent, and he passed on me and he also said that the the lisp is going to be an issue and she laughed and she's like I don't hear a lisp that's but okay and she she did want though a reference from a casting director in the city and so I spoke to one who I know and she called me back later on and and she sort of laughed and she said so I spoke to him and he gave me a reference he said that you've come such a long way he's watched your progress over the years but he said that your lisp is the only thing standing between you and a lead male role. And that just killed me. It was just like, the, it just broke my soul so much. And so I, you know, I, I work with a speech pathologist and I do these tongue exercises. But then I think about my writing and I say, fuck this. Like, I'll write my own character. I'll, like, why can't a lead male have a slight lisp? Is it like, is that the world we live in that it's so detrimental that a lisp is going to take away the credibility and masculinity of what a lead male is? Because that's me. And like, why can't I be a lead male? And so it's things like this that really inspire what I write. I mean, you bet your ass this subject is in this project that I just wrote. And, And I'm sad that it happened to me, but I'm I'm glad that I could be of a person who can talk about something like that and bring light to it, and and I just want to be a person who helps realize that lead males don't just come with a full head of hair or muscles or well-articulated words and height, you know? It's like if you're bald, you're a comedic relief. If you're not in shape, you're a comedic relief. There are, I know, there are many examples of this not existing but they're but not the ones that come yeah, to mind that's first. Not, that's
0: not the that's not the rule. Yeah. The
1: rule is still yeah uh, something that's
0: categorically, you know, restrictive. Even though, you know, there's a there's a push for progress and for having leads not fit a specific stereotype yeah. of, of beauty standards and, you know, like you said, speech, hair, height, all sorts of things. Yeah. Because then that propagates the same thing. You're we go back to you. As a young kid watching friends and hearing gay jokes, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Young kids sitting watching TV and seeing these standards of beauty mm-hmm. that are actually quite rare, mm-hmm. and then thinking of themselves as inferior. Or as maybe just not quite good enough. Absolutely. Right, and it's like you're you're meant to be watching these uh, quote unquote gods on screen, yeah. and you are just a mortal yeah. among them. So I think that the progress in trying to to get more realistic humans in lead roles and in lead roles where we actually talk about how they can be a standard of beauty. Yeah. Right. Would make a, an impression on especially young kids who are watching it and internalizing yeah. it without that sort of critical mindset that you were talking about yeah. earlier as well. So, yeah, that starts in the writing room.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because I ended up confronting the casting director and just asking him about it a few months after, and he, he tried to talk. What he was saying made sense. I understood it, but it was still not okay. But he was explaining how because I'm not a big name at the moment, what I'm brought in for, the way I look in my headshot, I have to be that character of who they think I'm going to be based off the way I look. And so um, there's sort of another like crossbreed issue there of like expectations of how people are versus how they look. and And we just need more diversity in all these aspects. Yeah, And softness to what men can be in gentleness. I mean, otherwise
0: you're just going to be in that, that gay niche role or yeah.
1: that trying to fit
0: within yeah. some other kind of role. Yeah. And like you said, speech therapy and yeah. all these other sorts of methods of, of of trying to get you to conform to mm-hmm. something. So then the last thing I want to ask you is what we usually do is then on a light note if you have a wild, fun, outrageous,
1: or sexy story that you'd like mm. to share. I've got quite a few, to be honest. Well, pick your favorite. Bartenders have good stories, I'll tell you that. Oh, that's right, they um... do. <laughs> I used to be a bartender yeah. too. Um Yeah, you know what? We'll go big. I'll 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 give a good one. So I had this really crazy urge to go live in LA, which I did for two months, and I ended up I went there to stay in with this guy who I was sort of seeing. And two weeks after being there, we had an issue, an argument. And I just felt very controlled. And I, I didn't want to be like, I just wasn't working. And I left and I went downtown LA. I had my bag and I ended up going to a PadMapper, mapper. I went on pad and I found this cheap place to stay it was a guy's literally a walk-in closet without even walk not even it was just a closet you open the door there are the coats let's put a little thin mattress under these coats i lived there for two months and during this time there were some days i just went without even talking to a person and i got so depressed it was really crazy and i um i had grinder someone invited me to a sex party i'd never been to an orgy in my life And then I also had someone else invite me on a date, and he seemed kind of cute. And I had this, you know, I had the instructions of where to go and when for the sex party. And I just was like, oh, this is a cool idea, but I don't think this is for me. Thanks for the invite. And I went to meet this guy downtown L.A. for a date. I'm waiting there. The guy shows up. He's fucked up. He's just on some kind of drug. And I'm like, "SOS, XO." oh, N-O, i need to get away from here <laughs> and i we were we had a drink up at the bar and i just needed to like slide away i'm like the time was ticking i get out of there and on the rule with the invitation to this this orgy um it said to be there before midnight and i was not anywhere close to it i looked at my clock at the time and it was gonna be too late but i got in the cab i told him it's my friend's birthday and I really had to be there before midnight so he, he sped I got there 10 minutes past and I I, you know I walked up to the buzzer and I dialed the code thinking like it's buzzing it's buzzing and I'm like all right at least I said I went and I tried as I turn away I hear the buzz go and the the door to let me in and I go in I'm like oh my fucking god just like just like gonna fall over from the anxiety that's about to happen so I slowly just like go there. I go up to the fourth floor, read the instructions, take a left, don't, don't knock, just come in. And I, I go there and literally I'm walking down the hallway and it's just getting steamier. Like literally the heat is getting hotter and it's just mimicking my emotions and my, my blood in my body flowing. I open the door and this waft of sex <laughs> air just hits my face. And I go in and, and I just, I see people's clothes on the floor. I don't see anything yet. And I just am having a moment by myself being like, okay, uh, let's derobe, And I get naked and I just, just in my own head, walk in and I just turn the corner and I just see, just people fucking everywhere. And it was crazy. And I, I just saw these two guys making out naked and one extended his arm to me and to join. And I just, I went in there. I just got in and, and then it just started to take off one thing after another. And and I didn't take part in like, I could barely get it up. I was so anxious. It was just so overwhelming, but I had this really crazy aha moment where it was like, you know, I was hooking up with this one guy in the middle of the room. I mean, there is no corners, And I felt self-conscious, even though everyone was having sex around me. I'm like, why can't I just do this? And I had this moment where I'm like, another guy joined and another guy joined. And we're all just making out, doing oral. And I I just got so self-conscious to be the guy on his knees taking care of a bunch of guys. And I was just like shut the fuck up and just do it we're all here and that was so humanizing because it's like we're all here doing that and it's just so much trauma it's denying you something that you just want to do in pleasure like and I did it and it was so hot and it I think from that moment on it's like it made me that much more sexually flexible and proud and like unashamed and I think it made me sexier because I'm not one to take a pause anymore and I will go for what I want. And it was just that moment being faced with like, are you a slut or are you just a human and and acknowledging what you like and and realizing everybody else likes it too and that there is no room for shame you can be both yeah you can be, be both. both and that there's just no like get rid of it do what feels good respect yourself respect others and get off
0: was this a uh strictly gay sex party or it was general? it was a strictly yeah. gay
1: one yeah okay i very much look forward to going to an all inclusive one all right, yeah, I'm very excited <laughs> for that well so, post covid yeah, these
0: possibilities might once again crop up. they will, but for now, before I let you go, why don't you tell the listeners where you want to be found?
1: yeah, uh come check out my uh, my instagram page. why not it's evan Spurgel, and um I do silly things, yeah. I'm just a simple boy. (laughs) Evan, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.